This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited for our, our lesson today. We're going to talk a little bit about God's timing. I've heard that phrase a lot, and especially over the last few years. And when I would hear that phrase, I would kind of wonder what people actually meant by that. Because these are all you know, well-intentioned Christian people, strong belief systems, and they would talk about waiting for God's timing. I think there's a lot of good intentions and a lot of good thoughts behind that phrase. There's the concept of patience, people wanting to to wait for the right moment and to pursue whatever God wants them to pursue, whatever his plan or his will is. There's, There's an intention and a desire there for people to serve God. But then unfortunately, a lot of the time I would see from these people that would say they were waiting for God's timing that in waiting for God's timing, they weren't really doing anything in the meantime. And so sometimes waiting for God's timing was rather than an, exp- an expression of them wanting to do God's will, it became an excuse for them to do God's will later instead of now. And I don't want to accuse anyone. If you use that phrase, I know how you use it. And I, and I know your heart and your intention in that. And again, people that use that phrase are well-intentioned. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody that uses that phrase because everybody says the same thing. They just may not use those same words. I will say, well, it's just, it's just not the right time. Now's not the right time. Maybe, maybe sometime down the line things will be a little bit, you know, line up a little better. My schedule will be more accommodating. And I'll do these things that I have the intention to do for the kingdom of God. So we all say the same thing in our procrastination. We just may use different words to say it. But I want to look at this phrase and what we really mean by it. One unfortunate thing about this phrase and how it's often used is a lot of people, when they say they're waiting for God's timing, they're waiting for a sign. They're waiting for God to make it personal. They're waiting for God to just lay it out there directly for them so that they know know exactly what they're supposed to do. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have some insight into what God's will is for you. But we have God's will for us. And he has some very bold things to say about those who request a sign. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 39, we see what asking about a sign or asking for a sign says about the person who asks for it. Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 39, it says, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Ouch. That kind of hurts for the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, they're listening to Jesus. He's teaching them certain things. And he calls them a generation of vipers. And then he tells them how they're going to be 
known by their fruits. And he asks them, how can you as an evil tree bear good fruit? I mean, he scolded these dudes. And they had no answer for that. They had no answer for any of the things that Jesus said. He just finishes his scathing rebuke of them and they say, can you show us a sign? And that kind of feels out of place. It's a weird, it's a weird interaction. And, and when I first read this passage, I was like, why are they asking for a sign? This is kind of an odd uh, response for them. Why wouldn't they at least try to excuse themselves of something that Jesus was accusing them of? But then I thought about it a little bit more. When I was in, in high school writing research papers, I would look at different sources. And, and when, I wrote, when I wrote the paper, I started out with a, a theory. I started out with a, a, a preconception about the answer that I was looking for. And so I would look for articles and documents that supported my presupposition. And when I found them, there was no proofreading or fact checking. Just throw them suckers in there. I want to use that because it supports my, it supports my premise. But if I find something that doesn't, I'm going to start checking sources. I'm going to start making sure that they've got, you know, Harvard, Yale, and Stanford in their resources because I want to make sure they're credible. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were looking for information, but when they found something that didn't agree with what they believed, when Christ criticized them, they started fact-checking. They wanted to know for sure that he was credible. So they said, show us a sign. Show us you're really from God. If you're going to call us out like that, we want to know you're credible. They didn't like what he had to say. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that talk about waiting for God's timing or waiting to, to see God's will, they're waiting for a sign. Because they don't like what he's already told them. They don't want to do what they've already learned from his word. And they want it to be personal. I want it to be personal. Is there anything wrong with that? I want it to be personal, but it is personal. It's just as personal as it needs to be. God has told us collectively his expectations from us, but the personal implication is there. He wants the same thing from, from every man or woman who calls themselves a Christian. He wants the same things from us. And if we don't like it, if we don't like what he's asked us to do, don't ask for a sign, because we've seen how Christ responded to that. Fact-checking is not the answer. Instead, do what he said. He's already shared with you what he wants you to do. So don't question him, but take what he's already given. In Luke 16, verse 27 through 31, it shows us that even if he did give us a sign, even if he did make it personal, even if it was miraculous, we still wouldn't listen. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and this is kind of at the end of the story. Uh, they had both died, the rich man had gone to torment, and Lazarus had gone to, to comfort. And so we see a little bit of their interaction there. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. This is the rich man asking uh, Abraham to send Lazarus to his father's house. He says, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Abraham tells the rich man in this passage, if your brothers won't listen to God's word in its written form, they also wouldn't listen from somebody that came from the dead and told them directly. 
And the same thing applies to us now. If we won't listen to the Bible, we wouldn't listen to a miracle. So many people with closed Bibles say that God is silent. We want to say that that God's not speaking, that God's not talking to us, that, that we're not receiving what we need. But God's given us everything that we need. It's just a little more passive than we like it to be. We have to seek it out. Bible's not seeking us out. We have to seek it out. We want God to seek us because we're, we're selfish and we're prideful and we're lazy. We want God to seek us and give us all the answers and make it easy for us instead of us having to actually seek his word. But the information that we need is already there. And if you won't listen to it how it currently is, you wouldn't listen to it if God spoke to you directly and told you, this is my plan for you. You still wouldn't listen if you won't listen to the scriptures that we already have. In Proverbs 13 and verse 4, it talks about laziness and the contrast between the desire and the outcome. Proverbs 13 and 4, it says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. We all want the same, the same thing this morning. It talks about the soul of the sluggard desiring something. But we all want something. We all want some outcome. And the fact that we're here this morning shows that we all want a relationship with each other, a relationship with God. We all want salvation. We all want heaven. We all want the same things. Even people that aren't Christians say, I don't know, maybe there's a God. And if there is a God, and if there is an afterlife, I'm a pretty good person. I'd like to think I'd go to heaven. So even people that don't believe in God want the same thing that we all want. It's just a question of, are you actually seeking it or do you just want it? Because he says there's a, there's a big contrast between what the lazy man wants and what he receives. The lazy man desires something, but he has nothing because he hasn't sought it out. God's given us an opportunity to receive whatever we seek out from him. He's given us an opportunity to receive this great joy and this great opportunity through the gospel. But we've got to seek it. And just wanting heaven, just wanting a relationship with God, isn't enough. We've got to seek it. We've got to have the willingness to put the effort in to build that relationship with God and seek out his word and seek his will for us. In Proverbs 15 and verse 19, it says, The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. You know, we all make excuses for ourselves and our, especially our procrastination. This is a, a weak point of mine for sure. I like to, to just kind of bide my time. And I have that same thought of the people that say they're waiting for God's timing. I'm waiting for stuff to get more convenient and easier for me. Like I'm waiting for God to make this simple and straightforward for me so that I can just have this direct route to spiritual success. But guess what? The way of the slothful is a hedge of thorns. The way of the lazy man is blocked off. And it's not going to get any easier as long as that man is lazy. But the way of the righteous is made plain. The way of the one that's actually seeking God is clear. And it's easy to understand. And it's easy to follow. It's not difficult as long as you're actually seeking God in the first place. We think that it's just going to magically get easier 
when we're sitting there doing nothing. When we're waiting on God's timing. Waiting on him to just reveal this path to us. Well, he's already told us, as long as you're lazy, the path is going to be covered. It's going to be hidden. It's not going to be clear. It's not going to be easy. There's so many different quotes about uh, favor. Uh, let's see, what's, what's the quote? Luck favors the prepared. That's kind of the general quote that's thrown around a lot. We want to be lucky, but we're not prepared. If God tried to show us the way, we wouldn't be ready to receive it because we're not in action. Everybody wants success. And you hear so many successful people saying, I hate it when people say I'm an overnight success because they missed all the work when nobody knew who I was. And that's the same way in, in spiritual growth as well. It's not just when everything clicks for you and it just all makes sense. It's all the work before that, too. Unless you're working and unless you're seeking God, the path will never become plain or clear. It will never get easier. It will never make sense until you make the effort to seek God and choose his will rather than choosing your own. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25 and 26, we see a man named Felix who was waiting for a convenient time. Acts chapter 24, 25 and 26 says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. Felix was a busy guy. I mean, I mean he's, he's a, a ruler. He's a leader of his people. He was a busy dude. We're busy people. And Felix said when, when Paul taught him the gospel, it says he trembled. He was convicted by Paul's words and he was afraid. But he still said, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. And then I'll do what you say. Felix was waiting for things to get convenient, for things to get easy. Do you ever think about the fact that every time of your life feels like the busiest you've ever been? It just feels like everything just escalates. And right now is the busiest I've ever been. Why is that? Well, maybe that's because we like to excuse ourselves. And right now is where our obligation is. Right now is where our responsibilities lie. And so if I tell myself, I'm just busier than I've ever been. I, I, can't, I can't handle it. I can't do anymore. I can't fit anymore in my schedule. And it's just right now. It's never been this way before. And it's going to get better down the line. Things are going to get more convenient. My schedule's going to open up. If I tell myself that, then I can tell myself that in the moment that I have the greatest obligation and responsibility is the moment that I have the least opportunity to do it. And we can tell, that, tell ourselves that until we die. We like to look at the past and say, if only I was a kid again and I had time like I had then. Then I could give that time to God. Then I could do more for the kingdom of God. And then we say, well, maybe when I'm retired, then I'll have time. Then my schedule will be just completely free. And then I can give more to God. Why is it never now? Why is now never the time that we have an opportunity to serve God? 
Who makes your schedule? I make my schedule, and I imagine you make yours. So why are you so busy? Why am I so busy? We're busy because we've chosen to be. And we have obligations. We have stuff that we have to do. But we also have a lot of non-negotiables there that we could cut out. There's a lot of, or I guess negotiables. We have, we have things we could cut out of our schedule and put God in that, in that slot. Put God on the calendar. And if we don't do that now, we never will. Someday never comes. Tomorrow never comes. If we keep postponing that moment of opportunity, that convenient season is never coming. So we've got to take the opportunity that we do have, which is now, and use our time effectively. Use our time for something that actually matters. Because if we don't do it now, we never will. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 through 5, it starts talking about prioritizing ourselves and how that makes us procrastinate for others and specifically for God. I want to go back for just a second. This, this last verse kind of leads us into this passage because there was a reason for why Felix said, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. It says he hoped also that Paul was going to give him money to release him. And so he called for him more and more often. Felix had ulterior motives. He, he wasn't just being lazy. He also had an intention for receiving money from Paul so that maybe he would release him. And so he called for him more and more. And he manipulated Paul in one way or another to come and teach him more, not so that he could have another opportunity to obey or be convicted, but so that he would have a greater opportunity of Paul paying him so that he would let him out. So now we can go into this next passage, talking about using our own best interests to take away from the best interests of God and his glory. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 through 5, it says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Just to give a little back, uh, background about this passage, um, the kingdom of Judah had been taken into captivity into Babylon. And they had just been released by Cyrus, king of Persia, and he had allowed them to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So they returned, they gathered all these supplies, and then they used all those supplies to build their own houses. Supplies that were supposed to be used to rebuild the temple. And so that's why God asks this question. He says, you keep telling me it's not time yet. They kept saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And he says, is this still not time? While you dwell in these beautiful houses that you've built with the supplies that were meant for the temple, is it still not time to rebuild my house? While your houses are sealed and comfortable, is it still not time to rebuild my house that's still in, in ruins? In my house, or in my life, the house that suffers the most when I get busy is God's house. The kingdom of the Lord suffers the most when I get busy because there's work to do and there's stuff to work on at the house and there's relationships to cultivate and there's my health and fitness to prioritize and 
the list goes on and on of all the things that I could put my time into. So when I am busy, when resources are short, the house that suffers is the house of the Lord. And that's, that's how we are. We naturally prioritize self. We naturally prioritize the things that are right in front of our face rather than the things that feel a little bit more distant. And for a lot of us, God's will for us feels a little bit more distant. And the deadline for those things feels a little bit more distant. A lot of people, and I'm one of them, need a deadline to accomplish anything. Whether it's something that I manufacture in my own mind and I say, this is the day I have to get this done, or if it's really crunch time and I've got a test or something coming up that I've got to get something done, I need a deadline to make that accomplishment. And God's deadline feels like it's just out there in the unknown. Because we don't know when it is, it feels intangible. And all these other things that we have going on, when the house is falling apart, and when the job's unstable, those things are very tangible. Those things are real to us. And we want to fix them because there's a deadline, and it's, it's close. We've got to fix it or else. But God's deadline feels distant. And so it's easy to put off repairing the house of the Lord in an effort to make time to build your own house with God's supplies, with God's resources that should be given to the work in the kingdom of the Lord. So what is God's timing? We make up a lot of stuff about what God's timing is, and it's a lot of our own feelings about what it should be or what accommodates our needs and desires. So we make up what God's timing is, but what is it actually? Well, it's limited. In Isaiah 55 and verse 6, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. So again, God, God's given us a deadline of sorts, but it's just not a day or an hour. It's a loose deadline, but it is a deadline. Time is limited. He says, seek God while he may be found, showing us there's going to be a time when God can't be found. When the door closes and we don't have that opportunity anymore to seek him. And I don't want to be on the other side of that door. But we can get pretty comfortable because that, that deadline feels like it's just indefinite. For me as a younger guy that's in good health, theoretically, I should live for like 60 more years. Sweet. I got time. I've got time to pursue the things that I'm currently pursuing. I've got time to get my career in order. I've got time to get my health and fitness the way I want it to be. I've got time. Until I don't. We've all known too many young people that have died. And there was no warning. There was no indication that that was coming. I've got time. Hopefully. But I don't know that. We need to get real about God's deadline. We need to get real about God's timing. Because this is a deadline that's been set. He tells us, I've set the date, but God's the only one that knows it. And we don't know how far or how close it is, but we better be ready when it comes. So let's really get real about God's deadline. Luke chapter 13, verse 24 and 25, it says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, 
And he began to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. We want to be able to get to the building and sit on the doorstep. We want to be dressed close enough so that when some life event happens and we feel like, ooh, my deadline might be a little closer than I thought, then we can sneak in. When we start seeing the door close, then we can sneak in. We think that this is some old, rusty, creaky door that's just going to ease shut. And we're going to have a little extra time. We're going to have a warning. And we can slide through. I would love to tell you that you have a warning. I would love to tell me. I would love to believe that there's a warning. And that I'm going to have, you know, this 30-day period of, you're going to have a notice. But it doesn't work that way. Everybody wants in. We've already talked about how everybody wants through that door. But when the door closes, then we'll find out who really wanted it. Wanted it enough, not just to sit on the doorstep, but to walk through. And then everybody else that didn't truly seek God and that procrastinated it and that put it off, they're going to be beating down the door, begging God to let them in. And he will say, I don't know you. And they'll say, we were on the doorstep the whole time. We were right here with you. I don't know you. You never came in my house. And I don't know you. We're not guaranteed a notice. We're not guaranteed a warning of when this deadline comes. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, it says that God's timing is unexpected and it's dangerous. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. I don't know about you, but I don't like to think about this too much. There's, there's some people that are very comfortable with death. There's some people that are very comfortable with Jesus coming back. And they, they have built their relationship with God to a point that they're, they're comfortable and they're confident in that. And I'm not. I'm not ready. And I've, I've mentioned to y'all before that Cora will say things about, like, if the sky looks weird or something like that, she'll say, I wonder if it's going to look like this when Jesus comes back. And I'm like, ooh. I don't want to hear it because I'm not ready. Because my pri- priorities aren't in line. I mean, I won't, I won't make excuses for myself. My priorities are not in alignment. And I would love to be the preacher up here that has gained the answers and can share them with you, but I am not. I don't have it right yet. And this terrifies me. We like to talk about how God is love and God cares about you and God wants to take care of you and that he's got you and that he supports you. And all those things are true But God's also dangerous, and God is also worthy of your fear. And the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It's unexpected, and you can't predict it. You can get ready for it, but you can't predict it, and you're not going to know when it's going to come. I was thinking about this morning, you know, used to, somebody walking through those doors with the intention to kill everybody in this building was not a reality or it was less of a reality. 
Today, that's a reality. That's a real possibility that somebody could break down those doors and you could be his first target. And I don't want to be dark or depressing, but that is our reality. And it's always been the reality. It's just it's publicized more and it's more common than it used to be. Are you prepared to be that person? It's about as unexpected of a death as you could have. Are you prepared for that? If that was you, would you be ready? If I was his target just because I'm up here, would I be ready? Or would I be looking for some down the line, in the future, God's timing that I can prepare for and that I'll have a notice for? Are you ready now? Or are you going to get ready when it's convenient? Or going to get ready when your schedule opens? So what is God's will? This is really what we, we all want to know. What is God's will and what is his timing? What does he want me to do and when does he want me to do it? So as we close, I want to get a little bit more clarity on those questions. Matthew 7 and 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. There's a lot of really spiritual sounding people with good intentions that have no relationship with God. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord, that, that talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Those people are not the ones that are entering the kingdom of God. So we've got to be careful about our intentions. I mean, why, why are we here this morning? Are we here so people don't ask us why we weren't? Are we here so that we maintain our, our reputation? Or are we here because we actually have a relationship with God that we want to build and develop? And, and that's a real question. We've got to ask ourselves these things. Because this is, this is God's will, and it's pretty simple. God's will is that you do His will. <laughs> Sounds like a stupid answer, doesn't it? Do you not know what God's will is? And if you don't, that's okay. We'll help teach you. But I think you know exactly what God's will is. I know exactly what God's will is. And it's not this deep personal calling of God saying, Cameron, this is what I want you to do for me. But I know what God's will is for me. And I'm not doing it. I know that God says to study his word. And that he says to have a prayer life. And that he says that pure and undefiled religion before him is to visit the fatherless and the widows. But I'm not doing that like I should. God's will is simple. And he's just asked us to do it. And you know what it is. Don't wait for it to get personal. Don't wait for God to tell you exactly what he wants you specifically to do. And exactly when he wants you specifically to do it. You know God's will. So do it. When God tells you his will, he's not saying somewhere down the line, I'm going to share with you the time that I'd like you to do this in. When parents ask their children to haul the trash out, they're not saying somewhere down the line, I'd like you to do this. They don't have to say, do it right now until the kid says, I'll do it later. And then they have to say, no, I meant right now. When I said to do something, I meant right now. And God doesn't have to tell us 
when he wants us to do it. He says to say to do it. And we should go. It's pretty simple. We know his will. It's just a matter of putting it on the calendar, of putting it in our schedule, of making it a priority enough that we actually get it done instead of just saying we're going to do it somewhere down the line. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. We know God's will. It's obedience. And here's God's timing. It's right now. It says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. When we say we're going to do something later, when we say we're waiting for God's timing, we are making provision for the flesh. We're providing ourselves more time to do what we want before we do what God wants. And we're asleep. And Paul says it is time to wake up. It's time to wake up and take action. Because what you're doing right now, you're providing for the flesh, not for God. You're providing for your own will, not his. It's time. God's will is obedience, and his timing is now. Psalms 90 and verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's not enough to just number your days. It's not enough to just get real with the fact that eventually you're going to die, and it might be close. I mean, there's a lot of people that acknowledge, look, I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know when God's going to return. But if you're not applying yourself with that knowledge in mind, numbering your days is pointless. This morning we've looked at the fact that we don't know how long we have. There's a deadline, but we don't know when it is. God set that deadline in place. And we know that it's coming, but we don't know what it is. We can number our days, not specifically, not accurately, but we can know that right now's all we're guaranteed. And with that knowledge that our time is shorter than we think it is, we need to apply ourselves. Apply ourselves to wisdom. Apply ourselves to the body of Christ. Apply ourselves to loving and serving one another. Apply ourselves to, to prayer and study. Apply ourselves to all the things that we know are within God's will for us collectively and so for us personally. We need to apply ourselves. If you're not a Christian this morning, God's will for you is to become one. God's will for you is to obey his gospel and become a part of his body and have your sins washed away. And he wants you to do it now. There's, there's a level of urgency. He wants you to do it now. If you are a Christian, there's just as much urgency. He wants you to do his will by serving in his kingdom. And he wants you to do it now. A perfect time, a convenient time, is never going to come. And as long as you look for it, you'll postpone your action. So make a commitment this morning that you will dedicate your time, that you will dedicate your planner, dedicate your calendar, and therefore dedicate your time to the work of the church, to the will of God, rather than the will of yourself. You don't have to come forward this morning.
But make that commitment that you will dedicate your time to the service of the Lord before the service of yourself and your own desires. Make that commitment while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.